Well, it certainly has been a blessing to be here with you this week, and could I just say, church, could you please protect what God's given you here? Could I say that tonight? You've got a good spirit here. You need to protect that. Because your children need to grow up in a church like this. And need to protect your hearts and your minds and your families. God's given you a pastor that churches around the country would, would love to have. And he's given you a congregation that and church services that people around the country would love to be able to sit in a service like this. And I just want you to protect that. And I hope you will. And uh, praise the Lord for what he's done. And I, I'm praying, I'm sorry, I've got to leave in the morning. I'd like to be here tomorrow and also Sunday for your faith promise. But um, I know the heart of your pastor, we've, we've talked about, you know, our desire for the people that God has us to, to shepherd and help. And we, we just want you to do your best for Jesus. And um, not just in life, but in, in your missions. And I don't know what God's dealt with you about. Just do whatever the Lord wants you to do. Amen. Just do your best. Do, do whatever he tells you to do. And I'll be praying to that end for you on Sunday. Um, if he wants you to raise it $30, raise it. If he wants you to double it, double it. If he wants you to stay where you are, stay where you are. If he wants you to cut it, cut it. But listen to the Lord. And uh, let him... Let him be the one that's talking to you. And if we'll all do what the Lord wants us to do, I, I really believe that the problem with missions is not the masses. It's not the multitudes. It's, it's us. We're the, we're, we're the issue. God's people. The, uh, the disciples weren't many, but they got the job done. We're going to go back to Dr. Luke tonight again, chapter 12, but before we get there, would you turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? There is a third word. We looked about faith, and I really believe that if the Lord will increase our faith, we'll be able to do more to reach the world with the gospel. We looked at love last night, the issue if we would just love the Lord like we should. And I really believe that our love for souls is just a, a secondary thing that comes out of our love for Jesus. And then there's a third word, and these three words often occur together in your Bible in many different places. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Bible says in verse number 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. And you notice from these Thessalonian Christians, verse number 8, 
For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. A church that fulfilled the plan of getting the gospel in every place had these ingredients of faith and love and hope. Those three words in the same order is also in chapter 5 of this epistle. Those words in the same order is also in Colossians chapter 1. And so I, I want to talk about hope tonight. That earnest expectation. And I, I want to delve in a little bit. What is our real goal? What are we really after? What are we really looking for? I'm glad when you hear about some of the things that God's doing in the world. Man, what, what a wonderful expectation to see what's happening around the world for the cause of Jesus Christ. But if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 12 as we go, and it may take me a while. I, ho I hope I can get where I'm going. You're a great crowd to preach to. Luke chapter 12. Let's pray. Lord, would you please bless the word to our hearts? Would you please help your church? God, would you do something in our lives that would really make a difference? How we live, how we think how we go forward for your name's sake. Please, would you protect this assembly? Would you protect my dear friend and his family? Lord, would you safeguard the good work of God here and may they never stand still and God forbid they would go backward, but help them as they move forward for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Number one, verse number one, Luke chapter 12. In the meantime, when they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another. I think this is the biggest crowd that ever gathered to Jesus. I say that because I do not believe the Holy Ghost speaks evangelistically. <laughs> the Holy Ghost had Dr. Luke to write, there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people. That means, if I understand English, there's so many you can't count them. You look at the word innumerable and you'll have a very small group of references. You know, sometimes we just read over that. Do you understand how big a crowd we have here? I have no idea. Matter of fact, God says you can't count them. There's, I mean, it, it goes beyond what a, a, a terrible concert would be or a soccer stadium. I, I have no idea. I, I don't know how, but I just know God is trying to get into our understanding that this crowd of people is so big, you can't wrap your head around how many people are here. 
Now, immediately I would say, okay, wow. Let's preach the gospel and get them saved, right? Every missionary would dream of being placed in the center of an innumerable multitude of people to give them the gospel, right? What a sight if they would have turned to one of the preachers, amen, this year at the Super Bowl, and instead of having their perverted party at halftime, they said, why don't you get up and preach a while? Can you imagine? When the crowds gather across the mall at Washington, D.C. for the inauguration, the political gathering, they just stop and say, you know, wait, wait, wait. Would you like to preach to us about Jesus for a while? Can you imagine? An innumerable multitude of people. Missions dream, is it not? They're so thick, they're the Bible said they trod one upon another. Look at your Bible. In the meantime, when they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he, that's Jesus, began to say unto his disciples first. <laughs> Jesus looks at the crowd. So many can't count. He says, y'all just wait a minute. I need to have a meeting with my disciples. And he sits his disciples down and he starts preaching to them. Can anybody get your head around that? No, no. Lord, turn around and preach to the innumerable multitude. He says, no, no, I got to preach to these guys first. Because the innumerable multitude, not just on this day, but for the continued days and years and the passing of history is going to depend upon the disciples and where their heart is, not on that one day crowd. The innumerable multitude and what happens with them determines that first of all, first, we're going to use that word several times tonight. First of all, we as disciples get what we need. So he says this to him. He, he preaches a whole message to his disciples, not to the multitude. Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closet shall be proclaimed on the housetop, he, he's got all these people that need to hear the gospel. And he turns to his disciples and said, would you gentlemen please not be hypocrites like the rest of the religious world? If these people are going to be reached, they've got to have somebody real. You know why I think that crowd gathered around Jesus Christ? Because they knew he was real. They knew he was different from the rest of the messages and the people and the religiosity they had been around. And the Lord turns to his disciples and says, you cannot be hypocrites like the rest. You've got to be real. God will give us some real Christians. We can do something with that multitude. He said, verse 4, and I say unto you, my friends, 
be not afraid. He said, you know, you've got to quit being afraid. In other words, it's hard for hypocrites and frightened people to reach the world. You've got to quit being a hypocrite and you've got, you got to quit being afraid. He said, be not afraid of them that kill the body. Now, that's a pretty big thing. I mean, I mean that's not a small thing. Jesus said, guys, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what, Lord? Don't be afraid of people that can kill you. <laughs> Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? We'll mention this later. And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. And I also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be Denied before the angels of God, and whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring unto you, bring you unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer, or what ye shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. And... Uh, one of the companies said unto him, Master, <clears throat> speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> can, you, can you get in this text tonight? An innumerable multitude of people. Jesus grabs the disciples. You guys don't be hypocrites. Be real. Don't be afraid of them that kill you. Be afraid of he that's in heaven. And hey, listen, the Lord, he count the hairs on your head. He can take care of you. You're going to be drawn before magistrates. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. And some guy says, uh, excuse me. <laughs> While he's preaching. <laughs> I have a question. What's your question? Would you please talk to my brother? He'd divide the inheritance with me. You got all these people on their way to hell. You got disciples need to be trained to be what they ought to be, to be servants of the master before he leaves. And this jaybird is wanting Jesus to divide the inheritance. He's an idiot. He's a fool. He is the fairness fool. This isn't fair. Okay, wh why are you interrupting the master? You know we've got more people he can, we, he can we count. Is, is your mother dying? No. Do you want to get saved? No. What is so important that you would interrupt the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Son of God who only has three and a half years to preach? What is it that's so important? 
it's not fair that my brother got it all. Thirteen, one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother. <laughs> I know all these people are going to hell, but don't speak to them. Would you please go talk to my brother? <laughs> I know you're trying to teach all these guys how to preach, but would you please just stop and go speak to my brother? Why? It's just not fair. Good night. Speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, man. <laughs> I can feel that in the Bible. <laughs> man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? He, he said, he basically said, I don't, I can, I don't care. And he said unto them, he said, you know what, guys? Now, this is just, what, this is just a perfect illustration. <laughs> he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. He says, guys, I'm going to tell you what. If your hope is in the things that you have, if your hope is in life being fair, you're going to be terribly disappointed. You say, what does that have to do with missions? Well, I think it has a lot to do with missions because people, God's people, when God has to be fair with them and make their lives look like everybody else's lives, then if it has to be fair, you're not going to get involved because life is not fair. Well, Lord, don't you care? You just talked about sparrows. Don't you care? No, the Lord cares about you. He's not so much caring about what you have. There is this hope of fairness that destroys people in the Christian life. Let me ask you a question. Was it fair that the deeply poor Macedonian church was the only supporter of the missionary, the Apostle Paul? Was that fair? Was it fair that Paul himself, the Bible says, suffered the loss of all things as he was doing the work? Was that fair? Was it fair that Joseph and Mary didn't have two nickels to rub together? Was that very fair? They didn't even have enough money to go take the offering to the temple as was required for a firstborn child. Was that fair? Was it fair what Joseph had to live underneath with all of that reputation? Was that fair? Was it fair for the saints of God, our forefathers, during the Depression to live a lot lower than any of us lived? Was, was that fair? Is it fair that people in Haiti 
and in Africa will never be able to live the life that you live? Is that fair? Is it fair that people in Papua New Guinea, they'll never have running water up there in those mountains. They'll never have indoor plumbing. Is that fair? Is it fair to, to be born in North Korea or China where you cannot have the freedom to do what we're doing? Is that fair? And yet the people that complain the most about God not being fair in their lives are people that are blessed more than anybody. Yes. And, and I'm telling you that there are some of God's people that things in their life are so unfair that they have written God out of their commitment and their consecration. While the innumerable multitudes go into hell, but I'm worried about my fairness. Is it fair that most of the world is going to go to hell? Is that fair? Is it fair that most people don't have a church and they don't have a preacher? They don't have, is that fair? And the Lord takes this lesson. If your hope in life is just for your life, for things to be fair for you, you are barking up the wrong tree. And you will never give of yourself because you're always worried about things being fair for you. And you'll never sacrifice because that's not fair. So I call this guy the fairness fool. Well, then you got a rich fool in verse 16. And the Lord even calls him a fool in verse 20. You know, it's so interesting. Jesus told us not to call people fools, and then he went around calling everybody fool. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that in the Bible? He said, there's a guy building his house on the sand. He's a foolish man. Oh, fools, he'd say to the Pharisees. Ye fools. I thought you told us not to say that. He calls lots of people fools. He calls this guy a rich fool. In Luke chapter 24, he called the two disciples that were walking. They were so discouraged after the crucifixion. And he's walking in. He said, oh, fools, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Called his own disciples a bunch of fools. The Galatians were called, oh, foolish Galatians. The Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, thou fool. <laughs> Don't you know that, that sown has to die before it's quickened? <clears throat> so many times God just says, all you people, you're a bunch of fools. He said, Don't, he told the Ephesians, he said, walk circumspectly, not as fools. Don't, don't walk like a fool. I don't just think lost people are fools is what I'm trying to get at. Matter of fact, I don't think this rich man here, the Bible doesn't even say he went to hell. Now, we preach that, and if you want to preach that, that's fine, but the Bible doesn't say he, he went to hell. Matter of fact, the Bible doesn't even say he did anything wrong except uh, live for this life. Didn't say he smoked or drank or had women on the side or was dishonest or didn't say anything about his character. Read it. Go, go home and read it. Get, get your microscope out. The, the, the thing that made this guy fool didn't say he didn't believe God. Didn't say he was an atheist. No. What, what, did, he, what did he do? Verse 17. 
I mean, he's got, a, he's got plentiful ground. He's got all this stuff, verse number 17. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And, but God said unto him, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Didn't say he was going to hell. Just said, you know, you're going to die. What did he do that was so bad? It just seemed like he's got a good retirement program to me. Is anything wrong with eating? Anything wrong with drinking? He didn't say he was drinking booze. He didn't say he was getting drunk every night. Anything wrong with being merry? Now that we may have somebody here that thinks that's wrong, but let, let me tell you something. It is not a spiritual thing to be miserable. It's all right to have a good time. It's all right to be merry. I mean, God gave the Jews three, he, he gave them those feasts through the year, he divided them up so they just have a great time. God's given us richly all things to enjoy. He said that in the epistles. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with a building program. It's his stuff, man. He wants to tear it down. Do you have to get permission from God to tear your barn down? Is that such a wicked thing? Why is this guy a fool? Because his hopes and dreams are all in this life. There's nothing wrong with these things, but it has nothing to do with eternity. And it has nothing to do with God. And he said to his soul, what shall I do? He didn't say to God, what shall I do? He's a fool because all he can see is my barns and my goods. And he doesn't see God behind his barns. And he doesn't see God behind his goods. And he doesn't understand it's God that gave him the breath and the strength and the wisdom and the blessing. He doesn't see that. He just misses God. And all his hope is just how his life can be filled with plenty and the Bible says the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. I want to say this. I, I'm rich. You're rich. You're rich. You are. <laughs> I, I thought I had it. I, I was preaching a missions conference, Brother Floor, in a church. It's get, just getting started with missions. The first year went great. The second year, I said, all right. The pastor, man, his heart was beating for missions. I said, okay, the second year, I'm going to lay it on him. Because they can do so much more. And I preached to those people about how rich they were. I had all these facts. I, I mean, I thought God was going to bless this message. I had all these facts about how Americans have more than anybody in the whole world. And I, I, I threw away, because I don't even know where the message is now. But, but it, I mean, I had all the statistics of what percentage you are. If you got a car or if you got a refrigerator... It's unbelievable. We are the richest people in all the world. I got through with that and I said, if you rich people can't reach the world with the gospel and give, ain't nobody can give. How did a guy come up to me after church and said, you know, you're a good preacher, but I don't believe what you said about us being rich. 
I gave him like 35 facts. <laughs> he was convinced he wasn't rich, though he was rich. You know what? We're so prosperous that it's killing us. We really are. That's why those Depression-era saints and churches had the power of God, and we don't. They did more with little than we're doing with a lot. But their lives weren't wrapped up in all of that plenty. And I thank God for what he's given me. I'm glad I don't have to eat rice three times a day. I praise the Lord for that. I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip about what you have. But this is what I'm going to say. If your hope, if your hope and your expectation and your goals are just the things that you have in this life, you are wasting your life. You are a fool. Because five minutes after you're gone, somebody else is going to take that and blow it. Life's got to be more than just what life is about. This guy's hope was dashed. He said, take your ease. <laughs> Say to my soul, take thine ease. Just take it easy. You know, that's some people's hope. I was talking to a guy that was working on my house. He was a Hispanic guy. He said, you know, I don't want a lot of money. He said, I just want enough money. And he said, I'm going to quit my job after I get this much money. I'm going to sit on my porch and I'm going to rock on my porch and drink my beer till I die. <laughs> His whole hope was just to take it easy. Guys, if that's it, man, I don't want to out. That's not a hope. And that's why people get so despondent and so discouraged, not just because life doesn't look fair, but because the things of life really are so hollow. Verse 21 says, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself. That, that's all a fool is. <laughs> Woo, what preaching? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself. God says, you like this guy. And is not rich toward God. Now watch this. It's not a sin to be rich. It's just where are you rich toward? Toward. That's a direction. Where are your riches headed? It's like the great verse in our Bible. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what saved your soul? It just wasn't that you were despondent about your sin, but you were repentant toward God. And it wasn't that you were just believing stuff. No, you had faith toward our Lord Jesus. It was the direction of your repentance. It was the direction of your faith. It's not bad to be rich, but where are the riches headed? What direction are they headed? Are they headed toward God? Rich toward God? Do you see that? Are our riches, are our, are our blessings, are our lives, are our abilities, our benefits, are the, is the things God's given us, is all that headed toward God or is it headed toward me? 
He said, your goal better be to get things toward God, not just towards your children or towards your own life. The rich fool. 24. Consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. And God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? <laughs> Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. I think he changes gears here just a little bit. And he says, you know what, guys? You're really spending a lot of time worrying about the needs of your life. You're worrying about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear and the problems of your life and you want to make sure that you meet all those necessities. But you know, when you spend your time worrying like that, you're also very foolish because the truth is you can't take care of yourself anyway. He says, you know what? You can't even add a cubit to your height. You, you can't even add 18. I mean, get, get on a stretching machine and you're not going to add 18 inches to your height. He said, if you can't do that, why, why, are you, why are you taking thought for the rest? Why are you worried about the rest? You know where there's no hope in? I tell you where despondency comes in. People get despondent because they're trying to figure out how they can meet all the needs of their life and all the needs of their family. And they're overcome with the cares of this life. And they can't, they can't see the multitude because they're worried about their job. They can't see the multitude because they're consumed with thinking about their bills. You know how many times he says, take no thought in this book, in this chapter? It's not just in the, it, it goes all the way back up. Look, look all the way back up there in verse number 11. And when they bring you into the synagogues and under magistrates and powers, I mean, that, that's some serious problem there. He said, take ye no thought. <laughs> How or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. He said, don't get all bent out of shape when they're gonna take you, amen, in front of the government and what laws they're passing. Don't even think about it. Let God the Holy Ghost think about it for you. What a statement. You know what we do? We analyze, we look at the laws, we look at what's going on. And the Lord says, you need to quit thinking about that. 
There's a whole, you see that innumerable, you can't even number all those people. If you spend half the time thinking about how you're going to reach them instead of how you're going to get out of trouble and how you're going to save yourself. Take no thought, he said. Over and over. He said, take no thought what you shall eat, what you shall drink. Verse 22, he said to the disciples, therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life. Guys, how much do we think about our life? Can, 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 you, put your, can you put your heart into what Jesus is saying and, and just think with me? Our hopes are wrapped up in what kind of life we live. And Jesus says, you need to quit thinking about your life. You need to quit thinking about your life. You say, everybody has to think about their life. No, it's not your life. It's his life. He says if you try to find that life, you'll lose it. If you try to seek the things that you're trying to look for, you're never going to find it. So you might as well just quit thinking about your life and start thinking about me. If I think about God half as much as I think about me, amen, I'd be filled with the Holy Ghost and right with God and be doing something to reach the innumerable multitude. But as long as the disciples are sitting there thinking about their life, everything else doesn't matter. And the reason we can't get all the way in with missions, we're thinking too much about our life. What's this going to cost me? Maybe God doesn't want you to give a faith promise. Maybe he wants you to get in the plate. To do that, you can't think about your life. To give like God, you, you got to quit thinking about your life. You got to think about him. But he says this, let, let, me, let me help you with your hope. Because listen, guys, remember that God, the very hairs of your head are numbered. I don't care how many hairs you got. Is this your wife? My cousin. Your cousin. She don't care either. <laughs> your mama don't even care how many hairs you got on your head. You don't even care. Unless you're bald. <laughs> and then you might count them. And here God Almighty... God Almighty, guys, this is fascinating to me. God Almighty every day, because, I mean, you come to my house, them, them, that, that, they lose their hair. <laughs> Honey, are you bald? <laughs> every day it changes, does it not? And God says, every day I'm counting the number of hairs on your head. Can I ask you, what does it matter? What does it matter? But it matters to God. Yeah. Now listen, listen. If he's counting the number of hairs on your head, don't you think he has the rest? And things that you don't even care about, he's keeping up with. Why don't we just let him keep up with it all? Right. He said, look at them sparrows. Guys, I don't care anything about sparrows. I got in trouble with a little boy. I, shot, I, I was shooting sparrows, you know, and you're not supposed to do that. And finally I learned the lesson, don't shoot anything you don't eat. But who cares about a sparrow? And the Lord says, I don't forget every time one of them falls to the ground. 
And God is not an animal rights activist. He is just very interested in his creation. He said, guys, look over there at those ravens. They don't build barns. I used to have the statistic. I don't have it tonight. You know how many birds there are in the world? You think God goes to Peter and says, can you please get them fed? God makes sure the birds are fed. And if they die, he wants them to die. They're all in his purpose and plan. And we're so concerned about taking care of our life that we're not concerned about taking care of his business. He said, consider the lilies. They're not spinning and you're spinning around and your life is a whirlwind and your life is just so up and down. Those lilies just sit there and grow and open up to God and beam forth the glory of God and they're not worried about a thing. Not worried about a thing. You know what keeps us from doing the work of God? We're taking thought for our life. We're spinning... Because our hope is not in God taking care of us. Our hope is in me making sure my life works out good. So, consider the lilies. They don't toil or spin. And there's not a king with more splendor than them. Consider the sparrows. They don't plant or sow, but they're fed by the master who watches them grow. Yes, we have a heavenly father above. With eyes full of mercy and a heart full of love. And he really cares when our heads are bowed low. But consider the lilies and then you will know. Why don't we let him worry about it? Boy, I had something heavy on me one time and I said, God... I'm going to bed. Will you please take care of this? How much of our lives do we spend thinking about us instead of thinking about the master? Our hope is misplaced. He said, don't see. He said, all the nations, that's what all the nations of the world do. That's what the Gentiles do. You guys don't do that. What are we supposed to do? He said, verse 31, but rather, don't do that. Don't worry about your life. Don't think about your life. Don't let this life be your hope. Don't let your hope being removing all the cares and the burdens and the heartaches. Don't let that be your hope. Just seek ye the kingdom of God. You know, Matthew, he said, seek ye first. 
Aren't you glad the Bible says that the Lord has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? I got a different life. I got a new life. I live in a different place. My life's not here, it's up there. My life is hid with Christ in God. And for me to live is Christ. My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is in the Lord, which gave himself for me. My hopes, my dreams, my goals, my plans, they're wrapped up in the person of Jesus. First, that in all things, he might have the preeminence. If your hope, you know what our hope should be? It's for Jesus Christ to be first and preeminent in everything we think, in everything we do, in everything we try to do in our family's lives, in our church. We're not here for us. We're here for him. We want him to be glorified. We want him to be pleased. We want him to be number one. And if he's number one, it don't matter what I eat. It doesn't matter what I drink. It doesn't matter where I live. If he's number one, then it's all right. My hope is fulfilled. But if I have hope anywhere else, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. I'm sick. But if Jesus can be lifted up. You know that verse in Romans 8 says, you're saved by hope. The context is the redemption of the body. But scripture with scripture is this. Christ is the hope of glory. Christ who is our hope. My hope is not to build a church or have a successful life or live worry free or carefree. But if Jesus Christ can be glorified and if I could just be like him and my hope is I'm looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. My hope is centered on Jesus. And if yours isn't, you're going to be disappointed. When Jesus Christ has the preeminence, do you know how easy it is to give and how easy it is to go? And how easy it is to live a life that's pleasing to him. And how easy it is to go out there toward that innumerable multitude when he's first, when what he wants is first. Not second, not third, first. Why is it that he's not always the first consideration of our lives? It's somewhere down the list. This text in... Luke 12 tells those servants, you better be ready. Son of man's coming. How are you think not? He better be first. Guys, when Jesus Christ comes, you won't worry, you won't be interested in anything about your life. The only thing that you will look back on was Jesus really my first priority. 
was he my hope? And if he's pleased, I'm good. But if he's not pleased, let's fix it.